And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Good morning, church. Go on and have a seat. You ever notice life seems there are things that uh, just aren't what they appear? Have you ever seen something not to be like it looked? I remember as a kid, I loved oranges. And I played soccer all through my childhood. And what's funny to me is I'm not really convinced I loved soccer that much. But at halftime, what I loved was that the soccer moms always made sure that we had oranges to eat at halftime. That's what I loved and that's what I remember about soccer. (laughs) Now I remember being at a gathering as a kid that there was a bunch of fruit and I saw the world's biggest orange. I went and grabbed that orange and I thought I had hit the jackpot. This thing was huge. And I take the biggest bite you can imagine a little guy taking and all of a sudden my face turned, I puckered. And one of the, I remember this lady said, well, what's wrong, honey? And I said, this orange, it's horrible. It's turned. She just laughs. Oh, honey, that's not an orange. That's a grapefruit. I have no idea why God made grapefruits. I'm guessing it's a consequence of the fall, but it sure didn't look, it sure wasn't good like it looked. You know, sometimes things can, can look so good and end up being bad. That's what we see here in our text today. These past few weeks, Jesus has been teaching in the temple courts and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the scribes were the experts in the law. They have been trying and trying and trying to to trip Jesus up, to trick him on trick questions, to trap him, to to catch him in something that that he was going to say. They were plotting to, to kill him. And this is right before in a few days, Jesus is going to be betrayed. But remember the scribes, they were the experts in the law. They were the, they were seen as God's best, God's favorites. I mean, they had the amazing responsibility to copy the scriptures. They had to be perfect. They looked the part. They, when they made copies of scripture, their, uh, their procedures for doing this uh, were so painstaking. They were second to none. 
that they had to use clean animal skins to write on and even bind the manuscripts. In each column, when the scribes wrote, well, the scriptures could have no less than 48 lines and no more than 60 lines. The ink had to be a special collar and that they had to verbalize each word as they wrote it aloud, verbalize each word aloud while they were writing it. They would wipe the pen and they would wash their entire bodies before they would write God's name and even sometimes get a new pen altogether. There had to be a review of their copy, their work in 30 days. And if as much as three pages required any correction, the entire manuscript had to be redone. The letters, the words, and paragraphs were all counted, and the document became invalid if two letters even touched each other. The middle paragraph word and letter must correspond to the original document. And the documents would, would be stored in only sacred places. And since no, uh, no copy of God's word could ever be destroyed, they would be hidden. The, the scribes took this seriously and everyone held, looked at the scribes as if they were perfect example of how to follow God and be close to God. But notice what Jesus says in Luke 20, 46. Instead of Jesus telling everyone to look to these men as perfect examples, he says the opposite. He says, beware. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at feasts. Beware of the scribes. I'm sure Jesus' disciples had to be thinking, what, did he just say that? I mean, the scribes? I mean, I understand if Jesus said, hey, beware of the tax collectors or beware of the sinners or, or even the Romans, I could see. But the scribes, really? I mean, these were the guys who, who were the experts with the scriptures. It looks so as if not everything is as good as it might look. That I think Jesus knows that we, we tend to put people on pedestals and we need to be leery of, of people that put on a perfect show. If anything, in scripture, you see that the people everyone looks up to and hold in high respect, you see they were the farthest from Jesus and instead you see Jesus closest to and embracing the people that would have been judged the farthest away from God. That the tax collectors, the partiers, the sinners, they were embraced by Jesus. Whether it was a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus who would only talk with Jesus under the cover of darkness, whether it was a man Levi who had sold out his own people, or a Samaritan woman who was outcast by her own town. You see Jesus embracing the people that were farthest from God. Status and titles did not seem to matter to Jesus. So why do they matter to us? Status and titles didn't matter to Jesus, so why do they matter to us? Anyone who saw their need for Jesus, Jesus welcomed them, embraced them, asked them to follow him. You see, I think Jesus knows that, that status and title and appearances, well, it, it's easy to fall for. That's why he tells us to watch out, to, be, to beware of the crowd that looks perfect, to beware of the crowd that looks to have it all together. Because chances are, we're not seeing the real picture. 
Man, I love being a part of the church. I really do. If, if you're new here, man, we are not a, are we a perfect church? Gracious, no, no. But we know our need for Jesus. And we want to make it easier for the world to know Jesus. And as I look around, you look around the room, I, what I love is that I see we've got all kinds of different people here. When you look around, you'll see cowboys, you'll see mountain men, you'll see businessmen, you'll see flatlanders, you'll see, you'll see it, it all. I love it. And you look in the hallways and you'll see we've, we've got singles, we've got families, we've got widows, we've got it all. And you'll see people who have nothing in common. Hugging on each other, praying with each other, loving on each other, doing life together. Because all we want is to know Jesus a little bit better. Amen. See, if... If you want to know Jesus where you can make it easier for me to know Jesus, then I want time with you. It's not the status. It's not the titles that hold up in here. It is Jesus that matters. You see, the scribes, the ones that claim to know God better than anyone, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know God on a personal level. They knew, they knew all about him, but they didn't know him. They pretended to be so holy and pious. But in reality, we're so far and we're following just a bunch of rules and they missed the very son of God right in front of them. The scribes, they were just spiritual scrubs. They looked good, but they were scrubs. The scribes, they wanted three things. First, the scribes wanted to be seen. Notice what they do in verse 46. Beware the scribes, why? Because they love to walk around in long robes. They want to be seen. You see, a, a long robe was a sign of status. No working man would, would ever wear a long robe. It'd be too much trouble. It'd be too difficult to work in. But scribes, they wanted to be seen. They wanted the attention. They wanted to be uh, looked up to and elevated. And so they would wear their long robes. They would look the part and they would do all of their acts of righteousness to be seen. In fact, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your acts of righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. If you read on in that chapter, he keeps calling out the hypocrites, the scribes, the Pharisees. You see, they were always putting on the show. They wanted to do good, but they wanted everybody to see it. Now, now let me be clear on this though. There are times that... If you're living for Jesus, your acts of righteousness are going to be seen. The key in understanding Matthew 6.1, what Jesus is talking about, is doing acts of righteousness with the motivation of being seen. In order to be seen, if that's the reason you are doing it, then you're not going to have any reward from God. Just a few verses earlier before Jesus said that in Matthew 5, he says, you're the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, if we're gonna live for Jesus, we can't help but, but be seen living like Jesus. But the difference is the motivation of the heart. It's not to be seen so that people look at us and say, oh, wow, look at how good they are. But rather, we want people to see how good God is. 
You see the difference? You see, there are times that if we're living for Jesus, we are going to be seen. That's the way God has intended it. That's kind of the point of us showing the world the difference Christ makes in our lives. But the motivation is to bring God glory. The scribes wanted to be seen because they wanted the second thing. They wanted to be respected. Look at the next part of the verse. They walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces. They put on a show, walked in long robes. They wanted the greetings in the marketplaces. They wanted to be respected. They loved to be called rabbi, teacher. They loved the respect of being seen as the example to follow. They looked better than everyone. They expected to be elevated for people to listen to him. Jesus said, listen to them, but don't be like them. Beware of them. You know, before we're too hard on the scribes, let's admit, we all want respect. Everybody wants respect. In fact, multiple times in scripture, We're told to respect those in authority. We're told to respect those above us. You see, following Jesus isn't this attitude of, I'm not going to respect anybody. Now, hold on. We respect God. But we also show respect like Jesus did. Look at Jesus' example And when we start living like Jesus, this makes us men and women worthy of respect. While the scribes demanded the respect, no, we show respect. Ephesians 5.21, this is a game changer. Listen to this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, God calls us to submit, to show respect to everyone Not because they deserve it, but out of reverence for who? For Christ. You see, Jesus, in his humility, he took the form of a servant. He he took the form of a servant, humbled himself, showed respect to, to the low of the lowest, the lowly of the low. He even washed his disciples' feet. And so if I'm going to give reverence to Christ, then I have to follow his example and not consider myself better than anyone, but to consider myself respectful of everyone. You see, this is a game changer for us. If we respect, if we submit to others out of reverence for Christ, imagine how much this will change our relationships. I want to talk to the married people just for a quick second. If you're married, I promise you, if you will submit and respect your spouse out of reverence for Christ, it will make your relationship so much sweeter. Don't wait for your spouse to earn it. Don't wait for for them to, to earn your respect and then submit to them. But out of reverence for Christ, submit. Teenagers, you are in such a difficult spot. You have parents that are full of hypocrisy and have high expectations and and rules that just don't make any sense. I feel your pain. But out of reverence for Christ, Not because mom and dad are so great and deserve it, but out of reverence for Christ, honor 
your father and mother. Respect them, submit, even when it doesn't make sense. If you have a boss, and some of us I know, we have bad bosses, bosses that just are, are horrible leaders. Don't just respect your boss when they're watching, when they're looking, and then turn and talk trash about them with all your coworkers. No, respect, submit to them. Not because they're such a great boss, but out of reverence for Christ, submit. See, what a wonderful way we can show the world our reverence for Christ and the difference it'll make by respecting and submitting to one another. If you're in leadership, don't demand respect. That's what the scribes did. Instead, live like Christ and be worthy of respect. But the scribes didn't just want to be seen to be respected. They also wanted to be honored. Look at this. They, the long robes, the greetings, and they wanted the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. The scribes wanted to be seen, respected, and honored. They did the exact opposite of what Jesus taught. Do you remember in Luke 14, Jesus seeing how he was at a party and saw how everyone chose their seat and everyone tried to get the best seat, the, the seat of honor, the highest, the closest, the best seat in the house that they could get. And do you remember when he saw that? He told a story and he tells, you, you don't choose the seat that way. Instead, you take the lowest seat and when the host sees you down there, he'll bring you up. But if you take the highest seat and someone better than you comes in, how embarrassing is it going to be for you to be moved down to low? All right. Now, he was talking about seats, but the bigger lesson Jesus was giving us is that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. I remember a few years ago, I was going on a trip with my friend Phil Phil is a lot bigger than me. He's over six foot, and we were had about a four-hour flight, and uh, it was on Southwest Airlines, which if the seating, the way it worked, um, it wasn't a signed seat. It was uh, first come, first serve as you get on the airplane based on how early you checked in before the flight. I checked in a lot earlier than Phil, and so I, as soon as I got on the plane, I scoped out a row, and I loved the window seat. I am like a kid. I mean, the hardest part about being a dad is having to let my boys have a window seat, you know? I love the window seat. And so I get the window seat for me, and since Phil's so big, I, get, I save uh, the aisle seat for Phil. And the plane, the flight is full. And Phil makes it on, sits down, we're all good. But the flight is so full that passengers were having to take the dreaded middle seat. If you've ever flown, nobody wants the middle seat, especially between two strangers. And sure enough, as all the seats filled up, this guy sheepishly came back, looked at Phil and me and asked, hey, can I, can I sit in the seat, the middle seat? And Phil, without a moment of hesitation, said, no, here, you sit in the aisle seat. I'll move it to the middle. And I just, what? You see, Phil wasn't just my friend. Phil was also my boss. And so here, I made my over six-foot boss and friend fly in the middle seat on a four -hour, almost a four-hour flight. I felt like such a schmuck making Phil in the middle. You see, that was a powerful lesson for me that day. 
Phil could have demanded, but he wouldn't take the better seat. He was quick to show humility and take the lower seat. When's the last time that you've taken the lower seat? When's the last time that you were quick to lift someone else up in humility? See, the scribes never did this. And that's not all. The scribes, Jesus goes on, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. The scribes, if anyone knew the scriptures, it was them. The scribes knew what God's word said. And over and over in the scriptures, you got it all the way in the books of law. You've got it in the Psalms. You've got it in the prophets. God is very clear in that he expected his people, especially the leaders, to take care of the widows. They were seen as the most vulnerable of people of the day some of the most helpless. And so God's people were supposed to care for them. And the scribes should have been the very ones to show the widows compassion and protection. But instead, they were greedily cheating widows out of their property. That a lot of times, because a widow would have no voice or little voice in court, when a husband would die, he would leave the estate to a scribe, an expert in the law. And that instead of caring for the widow, they were cheating them out of their property. They're devouring their houses, doing the exact opposite of what God's word had said. Oh, and the scribes, they loved to pray, standing for everyone to see them. Their prayers were long, but they weren't deep. I'm blown away how many prayers we see in scripture that are just so short and so simple that you, you see the, 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 the tax collector, you see the blind man, just the simple heartfelt cry for God, for, for God's mercy. You see, prayer, prayer isn't in how long we make it. It's not in how beautiful we make it sound. It is a heart that is set, that is desperate for God. The power of prayer even rests in God himself, does it not? I've heard this so many times, and I know I don't have time to stay here, but, but I've heard so many people say, Chad, I just don't know how to pray. That's not true. That is not true. Listen, don't compare yourself to a scribe. Don't compare yourself to someone else. If you have your heart set on God, then you can pray. Think about this. Who wants to convince you that you can't pray? The enemy, the enemy wants to do whatever he can to keep you from praying. In Romans 8, and we don't have time to go, but trust me, look it up yourself later. Romans 8, it says, <laughs> there's times we don't know how we ought to pray, but guess what? We have been given his Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does for us? Intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. So don't buy the lie that you can't pray. If your heart is set on God, Trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that his spirit's going to intercede for you. You can pray. Maybe not like a scribe, but they thought they knew how to pray. They didn't. Maybe you think you don't, but you do. You see, the scribes, 
they valued this world over the kingdom of God. God had told Moses that his people would be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, that the Messiah would come through them, that they were preparing the world, that Jesus was ushering in this new kingdom. But the scribes, instead of valuing the kingdom of God, they sold out and settled for a kingdom of their own. You see, when we make this world our treasure, when we value this world over God's kingdom, we make the mistake of the scribes. We, we can take things and make it all about us. We, when we do this, then, then we want to be seen. We want to be respected. Our, our, our checklist of spiritual disciplines is nothing more than a checklist to, to say we're doing our part, that we're the example. We can even make our service to God. We can get so busy and wrapped up in it being about us that we can, we can we freaking get the Lord of the work that we're doing it for and ask God to bless what we're doing instead of saying, God, is this what you want us to do? That is exactly what the scribes did. But then... Notice how this passage shifts. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting the gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus just put the scribes on blast for the show they put on and then enters this poor widow. You know, the scribes would love to announce their giving and want everyone to see how much they were giving and hear it drop into the box. The widow, chances are, she just wanted to go unnoticed. Her offering is so small in comparison to others. It was honestly probably more of a hassle to count than it was worth. But did you notice what Jesus said? She put in more than all of them. You see, God doesn't look at things the way we look at. God doesn't look at things the way we often look at them that she put in more. Her gift is so small. How is she putting in more than all of them? See, Luke is showing us again. There is a connection between faith and finances. There is a fundamental connection between our relationship with Jesus, our spiritual walk, and the way we handle and think about money. Luke over and over has shown this. Do you remember? We've been in Luke for a while. Do you remember in Luke 3, John the Baptist is on the scene, and he was preparing the way for Jesus, right? And remember, he was preaching, repent. Change the way you're living, right? Because the kingdom of God's coming. And, and people... We're flocking to John to be baptized. And they were wanting to repent and change. And so they asked, what should we do? How do we show that this transformation's taking place? And John, do you remember what his answer was in Luke 3? He said that everyone should be willing to share clothes and food with the poor. That would show repentance. Well, tax collectors were there and they were coming to John as well to repent. And they said, well, what should we do? And, and John told the tax collectors, 
not to pocket extra money. Well, soldiers were there, and they said, well, what should we do, John? And John said, soldiers, be content with your wages. Don't extort, don't extort money. Notice each of John's examples and instructions to show repentance, what did it deal with? Money, possessions. You see, there is a connection. Over and over this, we see this in the book of Luke, in Luke 19. Do you remember when the tax collector met Jesus? When Zacchaeus met Jesus, what he said? He said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Today, salvation has come to this house. You see, when there is a spiritual change, when there is faith, and when Jesus is Lord of your life, we change the way we think and handle money. You look, the early church, they, nobody was in need because everybody shared everything. They didn't count things as their own. They realized that God's kingdom was more valuable than anything they had. But then we also see the opposite. Remember in Luke 18, we had the rich young ruler who grew up in church, who grew up keeping the law, asked Jesus what he needed to do. Jesus looked at him and loved on him and in love told him that he, he needed to confront his, his idol, money, that he was a man of great wealth. And instead of following Jesus with joy and doing good, he walked away sad. He was a man who looked like he had a lot of wealth, but in reality, the wealth had him and the price was too great. Over and over, we see this connection of people either being rich towards God or poor towards God. And often it's the rich who are poor towards God. That the scribes fall in this category of the lure of the treasures of this world, the fleeting and temporary things. That's what they held on to more than the kingdom of God. And you see this widow, she's the exact opposite. She is free from the love of money. Her heart is not holding back. She is placing everything in her entire life and being in the kingdom that's coming. And she is placing her life under the care of God. If anybody though had reason not to give, it was this widow. If anybody had a reason to hold back, it's this widow. I mean, perhaps maybe even a scribe had cheated her out of her property. We don't know. But instead of becoming bitter, the widow chose to be better. The scribes didn't do their part, but she still chose to do hers. You know, she could have been bitter. Said, you know, God's people, the leaders, they should be taking care of me instead. Look, I have nothing. We can't imagine how God can work and use a story. But look at how God used her story. You see, when we experience pain and loss, it is so easy for us to become bitter. For us to become better and to hold back and clutch tightly to the things that, that don't matter in eternity. We'll say things, you know, God, I didn't deserve to get sick. I didn't want to be addicted. I, I didn't ask to be divorced. I didn't deserve to lose my job. I didn't have a choice in my parents splitting up. There was nothing I could do to keep my loved one from dying. When we experience pain and loss, 
It is so easy to become bitter and to protect what we have less. But instead, church, by faith, we need to trust that God has a better story. This widow here, we, we don't know her name, but we know her story. Most of us have heard this before. It's called the widow's might. Her story made it into the pages of scripture. Here we are 2,000 years later, still talking about her story, how God has used that. See, God will always give us a better story when we value him and his kingdom above everything else. So what about you? What's your story? Are you gonna be bitter? Or are you gonna to choose to be better? Are you going to trust God? That God diligently, he faithfully sees and he rewards those who diligently seek him? Or are you going to hold back? What is it in your story that you're, you're holding on to? that you know it's got a grip on your heart that's keeping you from being all in. You know what it is. It came to your mind as soon as I asked the question. See, this week, I wanna challenge you to read Matthew chapter six and spend time studying verses 19 through 34. Spend time with the Lord and read Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And then I want you to ask a few questions. I want you to ask first, am I trusting God with my story? And this is hard. This is so hard because it involves the things we love our friends, our family, our spouses, our kids, the ones so close to us, it, it involves them. Are we trusting God with our story? Or are we choosing to value and store our treasure here? And so many, so many of us have, have experienced the pain when people treasure the things of this world instead of the things of God. I mean, how many families when a loved one dies will be torn apart and ripped apart fighting over these possessions? Think about it. In just a few years, all of those possessions are just going to be loaded up on a truck, driven out to the middle of nowhere and dumped in a big hole in the ground in a landfill. But yet they matter so much to us instead of valuing what lasts for eternity. Are you gonna trust God with your story? Ask yourself, where does my sense of security truly come from? Is it in a financial statement? The number of zeros in the bank account? Or do you truly trust that 
God is good. He is faithful in his provision that he knows how to take care of his children. That if he clothes the grass of the field and feeds the birds of the air, then he's going to take care of you. Then ask, where do I find my true identity? Is my identity coming from a title? Is it coming from the way I look, the way others look at me? Or is my identity truly rooted and grounded in Christ? You see, if it only an identity rooted in Christ is going to last, it will never last if it's anything else. It'll one day be stripped away. And then the last question is how am I going to show my trust in God this week? How am I going to show that I truly value the things of God more than the things of this world? How am I going to show that I trust him with my story? Church, let's all Choose a better story. Love you, church.